Lonely feeling deep inside. Find a corner where I can hide. Silent footsteps crowded me. Sudden darkness, but I can see. No sugar denied or coffee. No sugar denied or cream. No sugar to stand beside me. No sugar to run with me. Na 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 in the silence of her mind, quiet movements where I can find, grabbing for me with her eyes. Now I'm falling from her skies. No sugar tonight or coffee, no sugar tonight or cream, no sugar to stand beside me, no sugar to run with me. No, 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 no. Johnny meme. Topic. There we go. Everybody, have you heard? If you're in the game, then the strokes the word. Get your contribution. Get your Constitution by your side. Hey, I'll smoking. You got the Gregor now. Stroke man, stroke man. Yeah, he's a sinner, but maybe he's a sinner now. I love how many songs uh, have been written that are basically about how uh, show business is fake. A lot of people become stars and they're like, you know what? I think a lot of these, I think a lot of these uh, show folk out here in Hollyweird, they actually, uh, they don't, they don't uh, say what they mean all the time. And sometimes they, uh, they tell you what they, you want, they want you to hear so that they can pick your pocket. I mean, well, well, what's going on? They all turn into Jimmy Stewart as soon as they get to Hollywood. Well, well, well what's going on around here? I signed a record contract and, and, and they're trying to screw me. So yeah, sorry, Huckleberry. What did you think this was? And then they just have to write a song about it to let everybody know. And then what do you know? Everybody just keeps going and keeps trying to go in the, the, the dream factory. And nobody is dissuaded, no matter how many of these songs get written or how many of these movies get made. Because what is there else to seek? People want to know why, oh, uh, all the kids want to be YouTubers. They want to be uh, content creators. And why everybody always wants to be an athlete or a rapper. Instead of, it's because in the absence of any project, in the absence of any belief in a social order, any belief that your efforts put towards it are going to be either, is, are going to be appreciated or utilized to any greater benefit to anyone. If you, if, if the world is just cynical transactions, then what the fuck should you try to do with your life other than be uh, the center of attention? To reify that identity, that that uh, that singular uh, consciousness that is the entirety of the universe. Because here's the thing: if you make a world where everybody is God, 
And then most of them just have to be regular fucking people and do shitty jobs. They're going to get uh, annoyed with that. <laughs> they're going to get, in fact, their brains are basically going to eventually explode from the cognitive dissonance of being God and yet being powerless. So, of course, everyone's going to seek fucking employment where they can be unalienated, which is as close to post-capitalist as you can imagine, which is the idea of life as God. Now, a little bit of alienation can be accepted if you think you're fucking building something beyond yourself. But if a society builds, a, if you are brought into a, a, a structured reality that says, no, the only uh, pursuit is selfishness. The only uh, point of view is your own. The only reality is your body. Well, then you're going to operate from those premises. And that means you're not going to put any effort into anything that isn't immediately uh, validating. And that means, of course, you want money. And, you, of course, you want to have time by your, uh, for yourself and not uh, according to a boss. But more than anything, you need to be noticed. You need to be seen. You need to be famous. You have to be famous or else how are you the sole uh, fucking consciousness in the galaxy? That, that gap is too great. Your brain can't handle the cognitive dissonance of living as one of many when, ev when everything you've encountered culturally tells you that you're the only fucking thing in the universe. That can't, that's unsustainable. That's why people seek to their own destruction, fame, and fortune. And that's why I did fuck in my lazy, cowardly way of just yearning for it and then complaining about it long enough that a fucking technology came along to allow you the opportunity to get known for complaining. That's why everybody wants to be a critic because if there is no energy to produce art because you have no faith in the project of society, then what you want is uh, the fame without the risk, which is criticizing other stuff. Politically, artistically, the critic is the default model. If you can't be, uh, if you can't, if you aren't talented enough to do it effortlessly, like you're a great, you're very attractive, and that means you can become famous just, you know, by acting or something, or you are an actor with a charisma, which is another thing that is relatively effortless, uh, even if it requires, you know, application, but it's application towards a singular goal of fame. Those people get famous. And if you have athletic ability, those people get famous. But if you're not, if you don't have those things, if all you have is this ego and this disempowered position as just one of the fucking flotsam, the consumer blobs who make up America, uh, then you're going to get annoyed with it and you're going to complain. And along came a technology to allow your complaints to be turned into pr content. And then you've created an entire fucking economy of critique, which is people trying to reckon with their insignificance in a world where they're the only fucking consciousness that exists. But it's all a flight away from effort because of it. It's a, it is a lot, a lack of belief. And the thing about the belief is the belief doesn't go away. Like obviously uh, modernity is this huge uh, th hundreds of year arc of disenchantment with the world, right? Like the world losing its magic, the, uh, uh, the uh, life become like th that is, which is unquantifiable is where mystery and, uh, and religion and spirit live. And qu the quantifiable has overtake as consumed the world. 
But that doesn't mean that belief goes away. Because at the end of the day, you have to believe enough to keep your blood pumping in your body. And the thing that you believe in, if you can't believe in anything outside of the body, is the body itself. And the mind and identity that pilot it. And so we believe more than ever. We believe as much as any people in history have ever believed. But we only believe in ourselves. And not in the I believe in myself way, as in the ourselves are uh, fantasy, social fiction that we have turned into reality. Because remember, this self is not real any more than our social bonds are real, any more than any ideological construction out of the, 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 the explosive random uh, matter that we, we encounter every day uh, is real. But we act as though it were. It used to be one thing of many that we believed in. Now, all of that belief is concentrated into the self. And all we're seeing, the, 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 a species suicide, is due to the fact that we only believe in ourselves, which means we can only pursue the most narrow, short-term, carnal self-interest. And that means, uh, that means that we can only operate through capitalism. We can only operate through market relationships. And that in a context of finite resources, that will spell the death of the planet. Now, that's not black pill. That's not the end of the world because beliefs fucking change. But humans have to believe to live. But what they believe in changes. What we believe in changes. Yes, like this is a perfect example. It's not like believing in the self is evil and must be extinguished. It's inevitable. It just, it used to be a smaller part of our conception of reality. Uh, Self-interest as, uh, uh, somebody put a good post here. Self-interest makes class politics relevant. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the emergence of the liberal self is what allows class consciousness to come into being. Like peasants would rebel cyclically, but never along any kind, uh, for the most part, not in a, in a coherent uh, uh, like understanding of the politics. And uh, as a group, it was a spasm against like the, their most immediate oppressor. They were usually doing their uh, violence on behalf of the king, in their own minds anyway. The kind of uh, like strategically, um, it, the, the strategically uh, powerful and and threatening uh, and formidable class politics that is oriented against capital as it is is only allow is only possible with the individuated self valuing their alienation enough to stand up for themselves for themselves for their idea of themselves as having inherent value and of their time and having inherent value, their time on earth, their time having consciousness, that time has value. They want to assert it, but you have to feel it as a separation. You have to feel alienation as a loss. So it's an, it's inherent and unnecessary, but we lost the war is the thing. The socialist spirit was awakened at the dawn of capitalism and Marx was right there to see it coming into fruition. 
But that fight was lost. That fight was lost, I would say, in the years 1914 to 1922. I would say that, and that everything then that since then has been a holding action, um, and that we have reached a, a period of of, of capitalist com, of complete capitalist uh, domination, the end of history as Fukuyama discussed, and why he really was right. But the thing is, there something comes after the end of history because we're in a fucking system that cannot sustain it. Contradictions between the material conditions and the fantasies in the heads of our uh, self-deluded capitalist rulers will break it down, and we will still be here. Someone makes a very good point here, that historically capitalism is obsolete. And this is what messes people up a lot of the times, because we are far past the point when capitalism has uh, has ceased to fulfill its historic uh, purpose. Because remember, Marx was not, did not hate capitalism. The, the whole beginning, the first part, third of the, the Communist Manifesto is a pay-on to capitalism's progressive features. Capitalism in Marxism, has a historic role. I think what you would call late capitalism, what you would call the whatever this neoliberal, like, techno-feudal, whatever the hell you want to call it, the post-1989 world, is uh, really capitalism having um, gone beyond its historic role. It's still holding on because of its the belief in it. Its ability to create a uh, a self-sustaining magnetic, ma- like electromagnetically charged cultural hegemony, like we have created people who cannot live together, who cannot cooperate. We have created people who are incapable of doing it under the conditions that they emerge, the isolated, socially atomized conditions, with a global uh, uh, supply chain that keeps uh, the most horrifying exploitation of the system as far as humanly possible, geographically and culturally, from the center of consumption. And and that means that even though we have by far the the capitalist accumulation necessary to equalize the pain of being alive, and not fully, but in a vastly, vastly more than we are, and in a way that could preserve the biosphere. But the people who could do that are not us. Now, that doesn't mean they won't be us at some point, but it means right now they're not us. And getting there, getting to those people, is everyone's task. And if that fails, if humanity fails, then you will see uh, capitalism just following along as it, to its uh, a technological extinction. And who knows how long that will take, but it will it will occur. And that is those are all open variables, so I can't say. It mostly comes down to how much technology emerges 
that can sustain it. And of course, there is the Zardoz option that the rich are able to put technology between themselves and exploitation, because that's what it is. You're you're putting technology allows you to put distance between exploitation and the uh, consumption of the product of exploitation between the extraction of surplus value and the enjoyment of surplus value. That's what technology allows. You couldn't get to a point if the technology happens and this is all, who knows? I'm not a tech person that allows them to, allows the rich to seal themselves off as in create in a bubble, the post, uh, the, the totally automated reality sealing themselves in. And then you have, ironically enough, as Peter Fraze puts out, points out in his book, Four Futures, you have fully luxurated space communism. Congratulations, you've got it. But you've got it without those people being transformed by the process of building it, which means there's still demon monads who will destroy themselves. As happens in Zardoz, which is a great, great movie I highly recommend. The only people who can survive the, frankly, the boredom, the boredom, the only people who could survive the boredom of fully luxurated space communists, communism, would be people who had a decentered themselves, not removed their sense of self, not become a hive mind, but reduced their sense of self and to put it into a social project. Because even in the, how is it that in the center of America, in the center of this system of exploitation, where all of the people are living basically post-scarcity lives, like to live in the, the middle quartile, especially if you have one of these jobs in media or around media, i.e. the people who are actually doing all the content that people interact with that shapes their understanding of what political culture is, they're miserable, even though they live post-scarcity lives for the most part. Yes, they're a little exploited, exploited, but they know there's some of the few people left on Earth who know that their effort will be rewarded. Who knows that trying will get them something. So, of course, so these are essentially post-capitalist subjects in their lives, and they're fucking miserable. And they build an insanity, of a political uh, insane asylum to wage war in. How the hell do you think they're going to operate where the reality is, hi, uh, welcome to life. You're not going to have to struggle for anything uh, for your basic existence. You're not going to have to struggle to keep yourself sustained as a person. But you are going to die. Uh, you're going to go through life having experiences, accumulating a sense of self uh, until it's really the, your only frame of reference for the world around you. Uh, and then at some point, it's going to stop. Good luck. Have fun. It's the grit. It's the it's the it, people neurosis is uh, postmodern neurosis. I think the neurasthesia of our new Victorian like drawing room class, the yellow wallpaper people, which is all of us really. If you're listening to this, you have the yellow wallpaper disease a little bit. I know I do. I mean, once again, I'm speaking about myself. If you say we we're, we're not miserable, we just want healthcare. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people in my position, the people who structure this stuff. And then how it, how it respond? I'm just saying as an example, these are as close, this is as good as it gets under the system. And it results in people building fantasies of anxiety to build, give themselves something to worry about. 
Like fuck the Robin D'Angelo thesis. These these comfortable, well-off white people who live in the center of an exploitative nightmare system and know that, but also are addicted to the pleasure of it. Resolving that. And it is by giving themselves a neurotic fixation on um uh, on their level of racism. And that is, like, if you want to talk about, like, the hysteria of wokeness among white people, that's what it is. It is this need to self, to self-absolve. It is the neo-Puritan need to be dissolved of the guilt of living as you do, because you know it's bad, but there's nothing else to do. And the thing is, I don't, there is nothing else for you to do, in the sense that you can work towards, you know, uh, the betterment of the world, but you're probably still going to be at the center of empire. You're probably still going to be exploiting people somewhere, but you have to live with it. And do you live with it by indulging in a fantasy or do you live with it by facing the reality around you? And the answer to that question comes down to how much are you trying to reinforce yourself? How much are you trying to get pleasure out of this? And that's the thing about the neuroses of, of, of this shit is that it gives you pleasure. You don't have to sacrifice all that pain you're feeling, all that misery, uh, the thing about freaking out about, uh, oh, no one's wearing masks. Oh, my God. What if, how long? They're telling me I don't have to wear a mask, but I want to keep wearing a mask. All of that is pleasure at a sense. It is a game you're playing with yourself. Instead of thinking about the reality that you're a cut off consciousness floating through space that is in a system lubricated by other people's blood. So that is why uh, this, is, this is a process. This is a, a process of creating a species that is aware of itself, as in has detached some percentage of its belief away from in itself into others, into that, oh, yeah, there is stuff outside of there that's real. That's real as, as real as I am. And that's what makes people struggle, sacrifice. That's what makes work unalienating. And there has to be work. We got to work. But that is unalienated labor. And unalienated labor could fucking build a goddamn, could build a Dyson spear, make America live forever, or make America live forever, make, uh, make humanity extend itself into this cosmos. Because we have so much technology. Holy shit. We have so much stuff that, fucking Marx thought that uh, capitalism it was fulfilling its historic uh, role already when all they had is like some fucking steam powered looms like a machine that would like go oh yeah it goes like this choo 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 and it, and it powers a fucking uh, a sewing machine we have the ability to centrally plan a world sized economy through simula simulations within, mach uh, within uh, uh, computers we can map the world in a way to allow all of our automated technology to fucking extend across it. But that's, that would be if we believed in something different. The tools we have are sufficient if the people were different. And it's us and the process, the history is us grinding those two things against each other because they can't just shift spontaneously. That is the fantasy, I think, of a lot, not all, but a lot of anarchists is a spontaneous phase shift 
where you can go from being a full, I'm a full individual vigivitual, and I believe in uh, with everything being good for other people, but mostly out of a uh, understanding of like utilitarian ethics. You know, I understand that what is good for the many is good for me too. I can go from that person to a state of uh, post-capitalist, uh, post-scarcity. Can't do that. You have to work. You have to change. And that change has to change others. And then the, the next generation of people have to change too. It's a, it is fuck fucking Weber and his slow boring of hard boards. Oh, yeah, that's – yes, of course. That's, that's what uh, politics is. It's also what revolution is by definition. Unless you want to skip steps, which everybody wants to do, and I totally get it. But here's the thing. Wanting to skip steps is wanting to feed the ego. Wanting to skip steps is wanting to keep – doing what you're doing already because it feels good. And even the stuff that feels bad feels good because it contrasts with the other stuff. And it gives you something to chase after. It gives you a hedonic treadmill to run. The stuff that makes you see the world as it is, that is the desire to actually see things better and actually change things. Unshorn of pleasure. And of course, like this doesn't point in any direction. This is all bullshit because I'm just trying to say that that there has to be of the most advanced people. Like there are progressive and and and, uh, and reactionary forces within any polity, even in the center of the decadent world uh, uh, capitalist empire that's consuming the fucking globe. Um. Fuck, I forgot what I said. Whatever. What do we got here? But there is politics here, and it has to... Uh, people have... people are. It's made by people talking to each other right now because there aren't any structures to join. There isn't any real... There is no left to join. There are organizations you can join as an individual, but there is no self-conscious left to join in this country. It has to be built. And so people are right now, all of us are faced with a choice of what do we do every day to try to make that happen? And all I and I'm trying to ask myself questions. Well, what can I do? Well, I'm totally isolated. I'm completely cut off. I am not a worker. I am not in the working class. I am part of that remaining uh, section of, uh, of uh, art, artisans, uh, but also, even there, I am enmeshed in capitalism as much as any other PMC. So, and I, I could sever all of those cords immediately and try to fight for the working class. How could I do that? What could I do in that uh, capacity as a middle-aged, limping man with no actual skills or abilities? I could try something, but it's a big leap. What, what do I actually, what, where am I? I'm in this position there's, there's these people who, who hear, listen to what I'm saying. If I'm going to keep doing that for now because I honestly don't know what else to do in the middle of this, this, this pandemic that has now even further cellularized me, I can try to make sense of what to fucking say, transparentize the question, and, uh, and realize that, okay, if everybody's seeking this, if I can assume everyone has good faith is trying to seek betterment, then all I could do is tell them 
not what to do because I'm not in a position, but how to go about doing it. Because I'm not in a position to tell anybody what to do. I don't fucking have any idea. I'm th- I, I have no connection to the working class. I have no connection to, to any movements. I have an idea of how you can approach these questions. Um, but that's it. And of course, that allows me to stay here and cushy in my home. And that's the other thing, is that you have this fire in your stomach, this combination of like uh, the, the ache of, of, of distance from, you know, uh, the sacred, and then also that knowledge that it exists. And you've got those. And that, I think, is what causes us to feel, to feel things and to be able to build a world around the feelings, because we have to translate feelings through that tunnel into conscious ideas. And that means being present for the feelings in order to be nearest to that, that moment, instead of allowing it all to get alienated by us thinking all the fucking time, which I know I am very, very guilty of doing. Because what happens is, is that even if you have this feeling, if you can't stoke it socially, if you're not stoking it through actions, you are only thinking about it. You are only uh, in the moment uh, abstracting away uh, an, a, a sort of a logical cage, a, a, a syntactic structure that can contain that idea. But that can only be made up of the stuff you've ever experienced. It's, it's, it, is consu- it is constructed of the experience of the world around you, which means it's locked up in the idea of the self, the idea of, uh, of, of the uh, singularity of your consciousness. Like you're still in that body. You're still in that mind that has those traumas and associations built into it. And so as you try to keep this, I, this feeling and you keep trying to keep it alive through thought, the thought continues to drift farther and farther away from the feeling because you are fallen from it in time, literally in time. You're trying to remember something, and the longer you try to remember something, the more you have to sort of uh, improvise to keep it going and to justify why you're not feeling. Because the only way to keep those feelings in, turn them into thoughts, into practice, praxis, which I now understand how that's a useful term because you really can't disengage the two because you're really only thinking until you get to an act and then you do the act and the act gets you, like, informs your thinking again. You, 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 the one by themselves just turns into self-interest over time. It just turns into self-interest over time. What keeps it alive is... Uh, cooperation is interaction with others socially is a social lived experience. And the problem is, is that you, it, for it to work, to, to be effective, you have to be interacting with people who share your mental construction, who have the same associations you have between words and feelings. And that's tough. 
That's very difficult. And so people go online to try to find people like that. But we're not interacting with ourselves as real embodied people. We're operating as just pure ego uh, uh, projections of that person, shorn from any real feeling. And so we just fight and build castles in the sky and, and wage mind combat on each other. Meanwhile, our bodies are just sitting there. Our bodies are just sitting in time, feeling nothing. And so we come back into our bodies, not fortified for the fight, but uh, reified in, a, in, the, in the hopelessness and pointlessness of fighting. Because what's the use? And also, I'm fucking tired because my orgone just went out my, the top of my head into this fucking internet. It is dualistic in the sense that there is a dual, there is an, that the dialectic is made of, of, uh, of opposites and the un, un dissolved, there have to, there has to be at base an, an uh, irresolvable opposite and it's between space and time. That is the one opposite within the, the, the pluralistic universe that is one, that is one uh, thing. There is still space and time. And everything else, the creation of the universe, the bringing into consciousness of human, or bringing into existence of life, the bringing into consciousness of humanity, these are all, and then human history and the development of human civilization are all powered by that contradiction. Space and time are the same thing, of course, but there's still a contradiction between them. Heisenberg. Like, something happens to me, I have a feeling, I, something touches me, and then I feel the touch. That doesn't happen simultaneously. It happens afterwards. My, my body dies before my mind dies, which is really what all of this is about. The knowledge we have that our fucking bodies die before our minds do. That means that we have to know at some level, at some instinctive level, what to do when the moment comes. All right, we might get a DMT hit. Exactly, but what is that hit going to be? It's, you're not going to get to choose it. You're not going to get to fucking uh, put it up on the jukebox. It's going to be powered by your deepest, below conscious constructions, where you, did not, where you have only been, after those were formed, trying to make sense of them in your conscious mind.
So yeah, hope that made sense somewhat. I know it got a little wacky there at the end. All the quantum stuff. I try not to talk about it because I don't get, I don't understand it. I feel like I get it enough where it's just like, you know, you got like a, a, a you have a reality tunnel that's made out of different pieces and they're, they're different sizes and some are very granular. Some concepts, you got a bunch, you can just go over there and you can feel it and you just, you feel very confident in it. And there's other stuff that's, that's solid, but still pretty thin or pretty, uh, pretty big, you know, it's pretty smooth, not a lot of grit. And for me, all that shit is, is very smooth. But at the same time, I know I'm not going to get it any more than I do. So once again, I'm going to do a leap of faith that, yeah, broadly, I know what's going on there. And then it, and the thing is, it makes sense with everything else. It's just putting it together a fucking out of the, out of the cracked pottery of, of your perceptions of life is putting together a fucking mosaic tablet. And then if you can get one that aligns your heart and your head and you can live it, live it with other people that reinforce it both for you and for them, you create a reality. Here's a good one. Why can Japan have such a cool spiritual and philosophical history and also such a bloody and imperialist material history? Because we have been running through every existing civilization has been one marked by class domination. All cultures, all societies are first and foremost structures of class power. All religious traditions and spiritualities exist within them. The ideas of those have resonances that operate in different ways and under different contexts. So even though the, 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 the earliest strains of things like Buddhism uh, and uh, Hinduism and Christianity um, were all expressions of people coming to, not to an understanding of reality, but to an ability to translate an untranslatable experience into something other people could grasp in their mind imaginatively to put a reality into someone's mind. It's essentially magic. And it, that, and, and language is an, is a fucking incantation. And so you have those magic moments that are defined. What are they defined by place and time people in a specific space, experiencing something at the same time and having those experiences fused into language and symbols and then carrying those symbols outward. Some of the people encountering those symbols are going to have a similar experience. Others are going to have an experience from the outside of it that finds it useful. And power will take any structure and symbol and turn it towards its use because it can because it has power. It's going to take anything because it can. Now, there'll be a resistance, but if it's powerful enough, it will keep it. And if it's not powerful enough, whatever emerges from it, well, because class has not been conquered, will reinscribe class uh, domination and use the stuff for their own method, for their own benefit. So... 
our task is not to accept or reject religious traditions in in their uh, cultural, like their 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 denuded cultural context. You need to ask yourself what religious symbology, what religious concepts, what spiritual premises, whatever, actually make you feel something, actually resonate. And then you can build from there. But yeah, from, from it, it, everything has been tainted. Everything is, is an instrument of domination. Everything is a, a tool of hegemony. I mean, my God, like on their own terms, forget what, forget their mystification on their own terms. The guys who settled uh, the United States and wanted to turn it into the city on the hill. You brought them, you, you snapped your fingers and brought them to this and say, here's it is. They would, they would go insane. It, the vulgarness, the, the monstrous, uh, 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 fallen, disgusting, materialist filth of it would drive them insane. And a lot of right-wingers like to say that. They like to complain, oh, our early Americans would be disgusted. But here's the thing. They made this happen because their conceptions were never defeated. They were the leading, they were the top proposition. They were, their concept, their, their, their despiritualized Christianity, their materialist Christianity made this world because they won. They fought other things and in the fighting created new things and created synthesis out of other things, but they were never unseated from the horse. And what do we have for it? Even on their own terms, it's, a, it's hell. Because that's what you'll create. You'll create your own hell trying to build a world out of exploitation, out of class domination, which is committing violence. It is violence to someone that you have to, in your heart, detach yourself from in a way that kills your own spirit. And being in that position of exploitation causes you, for very obvious and understandable reasons, to detach yourself from the people dominating you and hurts your spirit. And then you fight over the scraps for the next 300 years. No matter what fucking language of uh, religiosity and spirituality you use, you're just building that the structures that allow you to do that. Because these guys won. Of no, of, uh, 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 the, the, the founding generation, the founding generation would be horrified. Why? They won. They, we still have the stupid constitution. Their dumb instruction manual is still in power. And what could they say? Oh, you distorted it. Oh, you, you stopped paying attention to it. I'm sorry. How was that allowed to happen? Power was exercised through its structures and dominated. It's a fucking instrument of power. What are you complaining about? And what's this? The people who, the whole, the real point of this thing, as Madison and others said plainly, had nothing to do with creating a civic anything. It was keeping the rich people rich so that they could maintain their position of authority. And it worked. The rich have never been uh, been close to being dehorsed from American power, and now we have this world. If, if, if your rule led you to this, of what use was the rule? Because all anything that you're trying to build 
you, you will convince yourself, no matter how evil the system you, you support is, is that some part of it corresponds to a value somewhere. And that's your, the, the cultural superstructure exists to lie to you. It is generated by the ruling class to tell the ruling class that up is down, down is up, and that exploitation is love. Now, they're convincing themselves of this because of their deep selfishness, but at a conscious level, they believe a lot of it. At least some of them do. I would say that, like with anyone, it is a fucking bell curve. Most do to some extent. Some do completely. Some do not at all, like Reinhard Heydrich types. But most people believe to some degree that they're trying to build a better world or the best possible world. And their power allows them to create a system where everyone around them thinks the same thing. And that's where we are now and where we've always been. Revolution is the attempt from below for, to uh, organize a counter-hegemony with, with values that organize around the reality, the consonance of human, uh, of human dignity, the, the, the equality of the spirit, and creating a culture where, you, where everyone else agree, believes with that and reinforces it to you. And then, through superior numbers, overcoming the powerful. That's what, that's what was supposed to happen. The hinge point in history was in the, the, the early 20th century when you had gotten finally industrial capitalism had, had overheated in Europe where it was born. It had, it, it, it had fallen, followed the script of Marx to doom. But what's this? Colonialism. What's this? The existence of the United States of America as a place where capitalism's headquarters, its brainstem could decamp after World War II where it had uh, synthesized, it had, the United States, while, the United, while Europe was overheating with, co- with uh, capitalism, the steam vent of conflict went to America, where the, the, the bounty of our land allowed us to uh, resolve away all, a lot of the social conflict at the heart of the European capitalism within the white race by dominating other races. And then that meant that in Europe, the explosion happened right around when you could have predicted it. But even though the fight was significant and, and there was a big, long uh, holding action at the end, you know, even though the, like the, the battle, you want to look back and say like the class war, uh, and the class war, yeah, uh, in the class war, Gettysburg and Vicksburg are like World War One and the failure of the German Revolution. But then you've got, you know, uh, the Soviet Union in there, you got the Chinese, and then you have the anti-colonial movements of the Third World, and then the labor movement in the first, and they hold off for a while, and then that's, that's Lee retreating into Northern Virginia. And then, of course, uh, 1989 is Appomattox. But now the, the, the contradictions, the material contradictions continue. So we're going to st- still see uh, possibilities emerge, erupt, and change. But like the, 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 the thing that saved capitalism was uh, space, was space and resources that could be technologically dominated to, uh, to alleviate away from the centers of power 
the uh, exploitation of those closest to it, i.e. the working classes of the working class of Europe and the the uh, racially white working class of the United States, although sections of other minority groups, too, just in, in, in you know, in a in a, uh, in a segregated fashion. And yeah, we got like, oh, yeah, Cuba, God bless Cuba, but Cuba's like, you know. They're uh, they're the holdout in the jungle, and they should stay there. There, but that doesn't mean that they uh, can challenge capitalism. Why was Japan able to westernize and become an imperial power despite happening? Because it was isolated, because it was by itself, because it was not, uh, it was able to uh, to end end its feudal era. I don't know that much about Japan, but its feudal era was marked by such intense, uh, essentially what you had in Europe, in Japan was the same thing you had in Europe, which is uh, a a growing population in a relatively constrained geographic area. Of course, this is on a smaller scale. Uh, which uh, fighting over uh, resources, which means state formation and state capacity being built very, very uh, effectively. Bureaucratic, uh, the bureaucratic state and the technological state. It is that context. This is this is all from Scheidel. Uh, this, this, I really do believe that the thing that creates that that created progressed the the, the uh, capitalism uh, and the conditions for capitalism, which allowed Japan to adopt it as quickly as they did, uh, is. Uh, medium-sized state competition. And in Japan, you had like the shogunate, but within it, you had just a constant conflict between low-level rulers. You did not have any kind of dominant uh, um, statewide uh, monopoly on force. And that's what you didn't have in Europe either. There was no monopoly of force. And of course, state competition is one state attempting to dominate another at the expense of the other. And that, and, and when you have uh, uh, situations like Europe, it makes sense. And you have Japan, it makes sense. But then, oh, what's this? We have a world system now? We have a totally connected uh, economic structure? Oh, no. What, what are we competing about now? Where, what, is, what is the actual competition here? Oh, shit. We're really just creating these artificial structures to allow for uh, capital to circulate completely independently of labor? Fuck. I want want to start uh, uh, cooperating. Might be a good idea. But I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Latin America, if there is hope, it's hope in Latin America. That's my, in Africa, but I don't know as much, but definitely Latin America where you have, you have a legacy of, you know, a 20th century left that still has actual social uh, function and cohesion. 
I mean, obviously it's under assault, but there does seem to be the capacity for coordinated uh, resistance there and politically expressed resistance. Uh, uh, and that means it's, that's why it's been such a fucking bloody, blood-soaked horror ground of the Cold War. That's where the fucking, that's where, uh, outside of like Southeast Asia, that is where the most, uh, most people were sacrificed to, uh, dollar hegemony in the cold, in the, in the, uh, Cold War was, uh, was in Latin America because of the, the, the fucking, the effectiveness and the, and the, and the resiliency of the resistance. And, uh. Like if, if if Latin America could become in some way like a coherent left block that could then play like tip the balance between the United States and China and like force some sort of uh, accommodation with China, I mean, it's not it's not world communism, but it's better than the alternative. Uh, if anyone's read Vince Bevan's great book, The Jakarta Method, he uh, one of the things that's great about it is that he contextualizes the Indonesian genocide in the Cold War in a way that uh, I don't think necessarily everyone would have done. And I think it comes from the fact that he wrote he was a journalist in Brazil for many years before he went to Indonesia. Is that he pointed out that the Jakarta Method, uh, while it was obviously first you know tried out in Indonesia, was really extended and perfected over the Cold War, not in the rest of uh, Asia, but in Latin America, in Chile and in Argentina and in fucking Brazil, the entire the fucking Operation Condor. And then you have the fact that the Colombian government has basically been an American, like, client military. The Colombia, somebody just said, like, uh, the Colombian president or something said... uh, Somebody says that Colombia is the Israel of Latin America, and we're proud of it. Yes, exactly. Even though uh, Bolsonaro, of course, loves and smooches uh, um, you know, he loves uh, Israel, Brazil is coming late to the party here. Like, Colombia has been the uh, military, the extended military footprint of the United States uh, into Latin America. Uh, for generation now, mostly under the guise of the drug war, but of course, it's that is mostly about arming uh, narco terror gangs who who make sure that union organizers get killed and peasants are uh, continue being dispossessed. Like <clears throat> plan, it was called Plan Colombia, you know. So, and Brazil was never really a a, a, a flashpoint of that particular site, you know, uh, fake. Uh, conduit for American military weapons and training and, and personnel. So yeah, Colombia is the fucking Israel of, uh, of Latin America, but now you're getting this massive, uh, uh, resistance and it's being repressed violently. And that's terrifying and horrible. But when you see that this is not an isolated incident, that this is a pattern throughout all of the nations of South America for the most part, uh, if there's hope, I think that's where it is. But again, I don't know enough about Latin American history, uh, Latin American uh, politics right now. I don't speak Spanish or Portuguese. 
uh, to know the specifics, but looking at it from askance, from afar, it seems that's where like human, the potential for, for actual organization that can be effective uh, exists. Oh, somebody wants to talk about the Labor Party. Uh, L-O-L. That's all I got to say there. L-O-L. That's so fucking good. Just eating shit. Losing a seat that they've held since the 60s. Uh, Whatever. I mean, they had their chance. England had their chance, and they were uh, they were too miserable to pull it off. They're too they're too far gone. And why shouldn't they be? They're the ones who did this to us. Like obviously, we are all we all did this too. But we have, we were born into a world shaped more in America than by those disgusting fucking Anglo's. And it's not their fault. It's where they were. That was the, that's the strategy when you're out there in the fucking North Atlantic at the edge of Europe. Nothing but some fucking sheep folds. No resources. What are you going to do? And they did it. They took over the world. They jacked everybody else's shit. Now all their edible food comes from thousands of miles away. But they're miserable about it. As I said, they're miserable about it. They got all they want. They got out on top. They got to, they got to trade off. They got to sell high on the British Empire. Because they could have lost it all. I mean, my God, imagine uh, a some sort of uh, third worldist overthrow of, of uh, the British empire instead of them getting to, to just sign it over to the United States and then get to get a nice welfare state after the war. They're miserable. Because every short term deal that you make with the Mo- with Moloch kills you in the end. Because you're being stripped, you're selling your soul. You're selling your soul. You're selling it piece by piece until you're born into a soulless world. What, like England. Yeah, England's soulless. We're basically soulless. It's, and it's all about your distance. How long you have been a society fully alienated. So it'll be very interesting to it'll be very interesting to see how. I mean, obviously, it's not like this is going to change the Labor Party. They 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 won. The Blairite scum uh, are ascendant. They're just going to keep uh, bullshitting uh, and blaming Corbyn. So and then they'll they'll get wiped out in the next election, and uh, you'll get it another crowd who promises not the same not to make the same mistakes, and is going to be somehow. Not tainted by it, but they're going to be the same guys. I don't know anything about somebody's asking about the Albanian elections. I don't know anything about it. Someone's asking if it's uh, relevant to current moments is what did the Hoja did, did like Enver Hoja's kid get in or something? What happened in Albania? Did the, um, uh, 
Oh. Yes. Enver Hoja Jr. won uh, with the uh, More Bunkers Party. Why did the this is a very good question to end on. Why did the ANC go neoliberal? Uh I would argue for the same reason that uh Michael Collins came back uh to Ireland with uh the treaty. Because it's the deal they thought they could get. And they figured, well, if we get political power, we'll be able to turn it into economic power. But it turns out, no, the moment for that was gone, historically. I don't think it's any coincidence that you see the end of apartheid after the fall of communism. With the Soviets out of the picture, it's a different question about whether you hand over uh, uh, political power to, to blacks, because as long as the uh, the economic heights have been held by whites on behalf of capital uh, let them let them let them go let them do it if it's what keeps the system going and what maintains uh, the flows the spice let them have it and knowing that there was no leverage to get beyond a political sub uh, because where would the, where would their uh, if they had demanded no we we demand uh, control of the economy. We we demand like central bank authority and all that stuff. Uh, how much of that Western uh, support that they got for their uh, boycott and sanctions and shit would still exist? So they got a deal, and they got power, and it helped. It helped. It it, it materially benefited in some respects, and more importantly, it materially benefited some people. And that is the problem with. Uh, That is the inherent issue with uh, with communal politics, like uh, that is stripped of a class conflict. Is that once you get an ANC that is that is just another political capitalist political party, it ends up existing to benefit people who are already on inside sort of the the bubble of the the the, bourgeois, the small bourgeois and higher, and you just enlarge in the bourgeois, and you racially diversify the bourgeois without changing the class structure. All right, I think that'll be that'll be the game for tonight. Hope it went well. Hope it made a little bit of sense. Or is this Gizmo?